So Matthew chapter 3, and again, Matthew's talking about the announcement on really of the central thing in all of history of Jesus coming to earth and showing how unique Jesus is with his birth and that he's the son of God, son of man, and that he's king, that he's come, that he's inaugurating his kingdom here on planet earth and what a monumental uh, event that is and how his lineage, he comes from a royal line and the king has come. And we pick up the story this week about 25 years uh, after the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3. And Matthew just kind of, again, plunks things down with uh, really no mention of what happened in between, but he just starts uh, saying, this is what comes next. So let's read it together, and then we can look at a few things. So Matthew records this. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. So John the Baptist is my son's, one of their favorite characters, because he's just like a radical guy. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So we start this whole thing of John the Baptist being sent, and all the Gospels record this, that... John the Baptist came first, and it was prophesied in the Old Testament. There'd be one, like a guy named Elijah in the Old Testament, who would come and who would prepare the way for the Lord. And John was that uh, guy. And if you read in the book of Luke, he had a supernatural birth as well. His parents were old and all these things that incredibly came true. You can read them in Luke chapter 1 and the whole, about the Holy Spirit being involved. But Matthew just plunks it down and just says, you know, John the Baptist came, and he preached repentance, and we kept a little snapshot of what he did at uh, the Jordan River. And we just want to take it quickly, just a couple of things we see they look, that he did. One is, he proclaimed. He was a preacher. And again, you've got to remember the context here, and as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, okay, Jewish culture, they were used to prophets. So if you read the Old Testament, God raised up prophets a lot of times who would speak the word of the Lord. But we went about 400 years with very few prophets. And there was this expectation from these promises from the Old Testament about both a prophet coming, but the Messiah coming. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist shows up, and he was the one who was the prophetic voice, that he had a message and a purpose and a calling that was so clear that he lived a simple life. He's just out in the wilderness. He didn't have much fanfare. But he came preaching a message saying, you've got to get ready because the Lord is coming. 
And he refers back to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, where it says, prepare the way of the Lord. And we know in Old Testament, Lord meant Yahweh, just as we were singing this morning, the great I am. Prepare the way for God coming. But we see now this transition again of not only prepare the way for the Lord, but as we see later in Matthew, as we see in the book of John, okay, Lord is now referred to Jesus. That Yahweh Old Testament, and this is another one that shows Jesus is divine, Son of God, part of the Trinity. Okay? What was quoted in the Old Testament, prayer of the way of the Lord, is now being associated and connected with prepare the way for Jesus, the King who has come. And that's what John did. He's like, prepare because the King is coming. And this whole story of his uh, preaching was connected to the kingdom of heaven is now near. The kingdom of God is near. So John connects Old Testament, and you can read things about him in Malachi, all these prophetic words, Isaiah, to Jesus' arrival. And he was sent to prepare the way. And he had a clear message to get ready for Jesus. He also did this. Okay? He baptized people, which is, was kind of going on in Jesus' day, but his baptism was different from all others. So his baptism was a radical baptism. Because if you know Jewish history... Okay? If you were a Gentile, you were outside of being a Jew, and you wanted to become part of the people of God, then you had to go through different steps. One of the steps was you had to be baptized, but baptism looked a bit different from what we uh, today do baptism. Okay? If you were a Gentile, one of the things you had to do is you had to wash yourself in a bath, but you did it yourself, every member of your family. You got in a bath, you washed yourself. Okay? And that was representing... Okay, your sins as a Gentile being washed away, being purified, being made right with God. But you did it on your own and your whole family and nobody else was involved. This was radically different because let's just look at a couple things that shows that this was different. Again, preparing for what was coming with Jesus. Okay? First thing, this baptism was for everyone. It wasn't just for the Gentiles. It was also for the Jews. That's a radical difference. A radical difference. Because the Jewish people thought, well, we're children of Abraham. We have all the promises. And just sort of by our birthright and by our heritage and by our lineage, we're right before God, so we don't have to be baptized. And John preached this radical thing that, okay, it doesn't matter if you're children of Abraham. A new thing is coming. Therefore, everyone had to be baptized. So that's a radical difference. Second thing, John baptized people. So the old way, you you baptize baptized yourself in a sense now it shows that you were baptized by another john the baptist did the baptizing and again it foreshadows that you can't save yourself that you need to be served by another again foreshadowing that jesus is going to be the one who saves john the baptist introduces another radical thing okay when the gentiles were washed and baptized it was all for the sins that were behind them John introduced something new. He talked about sins that are still in the future, the wrath that is yet to come for future things. So it wasn't just what's going on behind. Okay, What Jesus is going to do is going to be for what you're about to do as well. And it foreshadowed another thing, another thing that things have changing. And John did it in the River Jordan, running water. And we have all these pictures you can read in Ezekiel 47, all these pictures in the Old Testament about how the Spirit of God is coming, and the Spirit of God brings life. And in that river that from Ezekiel 47 that flows, and it comes and brings life, and it comes and brings healing 
where in a bath it's sort of that stagnant water. So John, again, he's preparing the way for Jesus. So he's opening up thoughts and old ways of thinking, and he's breaking through, and he's bringing forth a radical message in his preaching, but he's also bringing forth a radical example in baptizing people. And so we have to ask ourselves a question again today. Okay? In the Old Testament, prepare the way for the Lord. Okay? It was like symbolism of a road that had obstacles on it. And kings back then, they'd build a highway, because most of the time it was just rough roads, but sometimes kings would build a highway that was for the king, and what they would do is, that little piece of property that you had out front, you were responsible for, and there would be an announcement that would be made, the king is coming, prepare the way, and you had your little plot of road in front of you, you went out and you removed any obstacles from it to make way for the king. And here John the Baptist is saying, referring to the Old Testament, our lives are the road. It's not a physical piece of property anymore. Our lives are the road. And John the Baptist is saying, get ready, prepare the way, prepare the path, make the path straight, remove any obstacles from your lives that's going to prevent you from receiving Jesus as king. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. Things are changing. Get ready. And we have the same, really, proclamation today, is that Jesus is here. Jesus is alive. His spirit is here. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to be your savior and Lord of your life. And we declare today, much like John the Baptist, get ready, prepare the way of the Lord. What things may be in your lives are obstacles that would prevent you from receiving Jesus as king and Lord of your life. And the examples are too numerous to mention, but it could be pride, it could be selfishness, it could be busyness, it could be all kinds of even good things that maybe are obstacles from us receiving that Jesus wants to come and to be central in our path, in our lives. And so that's the message that John preached. Okay? And again, it foreshadowed Jesus who was coming. And what was the main thing for that proclamation? It was this. Repent, and we're going to pick it up. You're going to read uh, very soon in Matthew 4 and into 5. Jesus did the same thing. When he started preaching, first thing he said was, repent. And John says this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And this whole idea, what do we mean by the word repent? Okay, it has really two aspects to it. One whole thing is, one is changing your mind. It's to change one's mind, to change one's thinking. And we're going to see how that leads to change in action. But folks, one of the things is it, it's a change of thinking. It's a radical change of thinking when we come to Jesus. And you can see how John the Baptist, he was quite rude, wasn't he? Okay, the Pharisees came, the Sadducees came, who were very religious, devout men who were trying to follow all kinds of rules that were really outside of uh, what we see in the Old Testament. And John, he just had a go at them, didn't he? You brood of vipers! Can you imagine? Like, religious people showing up, and that's how John greeted them. You're kind of like, John, like, dude, tone her down a bit, man. What's going on? But he knew this. He was trying to wake them up that their th- ways of thinking were wrong, and they were going to miss it. Okay, And there's this whole thing 
of with repentance to change one's mind. You know what? That's a, that's a humbling thing. So when we talk about repentance, it's a very humbling thing. We put our pride in what we thought we were right. We put that aside and we humble ourselves and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm submitting to what you in your word says. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, even though they disagreed with things, their main thing was this. We, out of good works and out of our own righteousness, that's what makes us right with God. And they were smug in it. And we're born from the right lineage. We're Jews. Okay, we've got circumcision. We've got the law. We have Abraham as our father. We're in. We're in. And everybody else is out. And look how good we are. And that makes us right with God. And John the Baptist came saying, you got it all wrong. He says, he's trying to give a wake-up call to say, change your thinking. That actually the Old Testament points to there's a Messiah who's coming who's going to make you right with God. And that your own righteousness is as filthy rags before God. It's a radical change of thinking. So he's saying, repent. Change your thinking. And folks, first step always in the Christian life is repentance. That's the entrance. Let me just read, where did I put it? Let me just read a quote, quote from Michael Green in his commentary. He says this, the central message of Jesus is repentance. And without repentance, there is no way in which a person can respond to the good news and become a member of the kingdom of heaven. Repentance is the inescapable beginning. We come to Jesus, it's, we change, Jesus doesn't. So we change our mind. Okay? And whatever we come with all kinds of different things, some of us come with religious views that, man, if I can just work hard enough, God will accept me, and we need to change and say, I'll never get right, but Jesus will. Some of us come with, we don't think we even need God. God doesn't even exist, and we need to change our thinking. But it's the beginning. Repentance is always the beginning. It's the inescapable beginning of turning to Jesus. And that leads us to the second thing. Repentance is a change of thinking, but the change of thinking isn't just like a good thinking. It leads to action. And so repentance has this whole thing of turning from one thing, turning to another. And repentance, when it comes to Jesus, is always turning from whatever else it was that was number one in our life and turning to Jesus. A change of thinking leads to a change in actions. And that's what John's saying. You guys got to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not just, okay, I'll academically change my mind, but it doesn't affect our behavior or our motivation or attitude or our lifestyle. That's not repentance. Repentance leads to actions. It leads to a change. And John is also really foreshadowing that we really can't do that on our own, can we? We need the Spirit of God. And actually, we need, more, we need a changed heart. And John, again, is pointing towards that Jesus, when he saves us, not only changes our mind, he does something supernatural, he gives us a new heart, and we get a new nature, and we get the Holy Spirit put in, in us. That enables us to not only change our thinking and renew our mind, it empowers us to be able to live a life that pleases God. Because now we're secure in knowing that he loves us. It's a change in action. Okay? Now I went to the dentist on Monday. Here's my example. And I 
had a panic last Sunday night when I realized as I looked at my day timer for Monday, I'm old school, I still have a day timer, I realized Monday morning, oh no, I got to go to the dentist, because what hadn't I done in a long time? Thank you. At least you didn't say brush my teeth. <laughs> I was expecting somebody to say that. I hadn't flossed in like ages. I'm like, no, I am so going to be found out. So I'm like, and you know what I did? I thought, well, it's too late now. I won't even bother flossing right now because, you know, it's just going to. So off I go to the dentist Monday morning, very sorrowful because I know I'm going to be found out. And I'm coming up, Mike, I got four kids, I'm busy, like, I'm doing well just to brush my teeth. I brush my teeth every day, and I do it twice a day, and sometimes three times a day. And that might cover up for not flossing. And a helpful thing now, the dentist, they give you those sunglasses when you, I don't even have to look her in the eye anymore. <laughs> so on go the sunglasses, okay. I don't even have to look her in the eye. And of course, what's the first thing they ask you? Have you been flossing? No, I'm sorry, I haven't been Flossing, I'm, I feel like just like hit me or something just to get it over with. Like, what's, what do I have to do to make up for this guilt of not flossing? But here's the thing. That's Gary's got it. But here's the thing. In all honesty, I'm going in there. I am sorrowful. Okay? I really am. I'm going like, man, I blew it. I should have been flossing. I know I am guilty. I will confess. I admit I haven't been flossing. But here's the thing. As soon as I get through with my forgiveness, in my head I'm going, I got another nine months before I have to floss (laughs) again. My point being, repentance isn't just being sorrowful and feeling guilty and seeking forgiveness. But deep down you're like, I know I'm just going to go on with my old way of life. Repentance, and Gary nailed it. Repentance is, I've got to change my way of thinking, which leads to a change of action. And the bottom line is, I've got to floss my teeth. Okay. And we can, can sometimes confuse repentance when we come to God. I'm going to be found out. I know I'm guilty. I will not look God in the eye, and I'll kind of slide through, and I'll even be sorrowful, and I'll even mumble my confession. But deep inside, I know I'm scot-free now to go along and not change. And that's not repentance. And John the Baptist is calling out, okay, repentance, and as Jesus fulfills, it's a radical change, and it's a change in mind. And John the Baptist is saying, you know what, I don't even have it all yet. I can only baptize you with water. Okay, I can only kind of go halfway. You need a new heart. And Jesus is going to come and to bring that. Okay? Because you just need more than just a change of thinking. You need a radical new nature to live it out. And so the question is today, again, what do we need to change in our thinking and or our behavior that lines up with Jesus being King and Lord of our lives? We might have to change our worldview, like how we view the world, how we view the lens we view the world in, and how we think about what our purpose in life is, pleasure, what our priorities are, eternal perspective, all the things. We might have to change things. We might have to change it even if we consider ourselves religious. We might have to change our view of God. We might have to change our view of ourselves. Because many times we're 
at the two extremes, aren't we? I'm so unworthy, God could never do anything with me, so I'll just stay down in this hole. Or, man, I'm pretty good compared to the rest of the world. I don't need God. Life is good. I'm king of my own domain. Both extremes are not good. And you might think somewhere in the middle, hey, I'm obeying God. I read my Bible. I go to church every Sunday. I do all the right things. Therefore, God must love me. And John the Baptist is saying to everyone, you who were religious, your good works aren't enough. You need a Savior, and Jesus is coming. You who are ungodly, okay, who are breaking God's law, you need a Savior. You who think God doesn't even exist. You who think, I'm just living my own little world, and all that's for religious people, but it's not for me. Repent. Change your way of thinking. There's a real God. And John brings it even closer to home. He says, there's going to be a real judgment as well. And John doesn't give any out. He says this. Your choice is this. Either you repent or you're going to be judged. And John brings a radical message of to the here and now. There's a truth to that, that you either repent or you're going to face judgment in the here and now, but more so in eternity, and that we're all going to stand before God, and we're going to, God's going to say to us, what did you do with my son Jesus? And there's a reality that comes that we've got to wake up and say, there's a judgment coming. And God has made a way for us to escape that judgment because Jesus has taken that judgment on him. That was due us. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that judgment that belongs to us, that we've messed up, that we've fallen short, that we've ignored God, that we've rebelled against God, that goes on Jesus and not onto us. Okay? And that leads us to our final point as our time's going. John points to Jesus and he says, you know what, guys? I can only baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And again, there's this expectation all the way through the Old Testament, and you can read about Isaiah and Ezekiel. He prophesies this. One day, personally, everyone's going to know God. They're going to be taught by God. They're going to be filled with the Spirit. They're going to be given a new heart. They're going to be given a new empowerment to live out the law that they could never do on their own. And that was prophesied all the way through in Joel chapter 2. God's going to pour out His Spirit on all flesh, men and women, young and old, rich or poor. And there's this expectation. And 400 years go by, and God's kind of silent. And there's this expectation. And now John the Baptist is saying, it's near, it's close, it's coming, Jesus is here. And not only is he going to save you and he's going to give you a new heart and he's going to put a new spirit within you, he's going to baptize you. He's going to plunge and immerse just as you are physically in water. He's going to do that with the Holy Spirit. And which we read about in Acts chapter 2, which ironically, what does it say? Tongues of fire and the sound of a wind, of a mighty wind, just as John's saying here. And we can be filled and we can be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which is personal. It's for us. It's corporate, but it's personal. It's that spirit of adoption. God puts His Spirit within us that we know that we are loved and we belong to God, that we're a child of God. We're given power. We're enabled. God, I want to do right, but I just can't seem to. We're empowered. God, you empower me to live a life that pleases you. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We're given gifts. Okay, that's a whole other topic. We'll just keep moving on, but Jesus is the one who baptizes us 
in the Holy Spirit. And he also says that Jesus is going to baptize us with fire. And fire purifies. And as was many times in the Old Testament, again, now in the New, there's a refiner's fire. There's gold that needs to be purified that's put in the furnace that the dross gets burned off. And there's no escaping that. I think for any of us who have walked with Jesus for a while, at some point along the way, we've experienced baptism in the Spirit, but we've also experienced baptism in fire. And we've been, by the grace and mercy of God, we've been burned. We've been purified. And it's painful, and it's hard. But afterwards, you're like, God, I'm so glad that you love me so much, that you discipline me, that you come, and that you burn away things that are going to be destructive to me, that don't bring glory to you, that are going to harm others. I'm so glad you burn within me a baptism by fire. And folks, we need to expect, we need to embrace, and we need to actually ask for. When we receive Jesus as king, okay, sometimes there's a honeymoon period to that. Hey, God, save me. I'm cleansed. Hallelujah. God, I know that God loves me. Hallelujah. But you have to be aware that sometimes you can say, man, everything's going wrong in my life. Everything, I don't understand what's going on. And to have that perspective, God, what are you doing? Are you allowing this? Because God wants us to be holy. And holiness sometimes takes on funny connotations, okay? Holiness is not just, you go to church on Sunday, and my concept of holiness growing up is you didn't do the wash on Sunday. You certainly didn't hang it on the line You didn't play cards, well, at all, but certainly not on Sunday, okay? You didn't go to an establishment that served alcohol on Sunday. You didn't play bingo on Sunday. We couldn't play bingo any day of the week. Um, And there's this whole concept of holiness of all the things you can't do and all the things you could do. And there's maybe a little aspect of that. But holiness simply is this. You're more like Jesus. And God wants to burn things off inside in your thinking, maybe in your lifestyle, maybe in your attitudes, that are going to make you more like Jesus. And so you don't have to be, in one sense, afraid. Somebody, oh, we don't want to get holy. We don't want to be. No, we should embrace God. Make me more like your son, Jesus. And so we receive that baptism of his spirit and of his fire. And so this morning, okay, we're going to take communion. And we're going to remember the body of Christ that was broken for us. We're going to drink and remember the blood that was shed for us as we remember the Lord's death and His resurrection, as we remember that Jesus is coming again. We've got to ask ourselves, are we preparing the way for Jesus? Both right now and in the sense of Jesus returning. Are we turning to Jesus? Repentance, we turn away from other things, we're turning to Jesus, both in our mind, in our heart, that leads to action to become more like Jesus. Are we receiving the Holy Spirit? Are we receiving the spirit of the living God that's going to make us more like Jesus? Are we receiving that fire that purifies us so that we become more like Jesus? There's an opportunity to respond here this morning. So I'm going to ask our hosts to come. They get ready to serve communion as our time's moving along. Okay? And you have an opportunity, even as you take communion this morning. Okay, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're welcome to participate. Okay? But as you take the bread and as you take the cup, you can take some time to remember. And maybe you need to get some things right with God. Maybe you need to share something afterwards with people. 
Okay? You have an opportunity to do that. Maybe you don't consider yourself a Christian here this morning. You have an opportunity this morning as we take part for you to be able to come and maybe you want to talk to one of us afterwards to learn more about what it is to be a follower of Christ. And you have an opportunity this morning to embrace that Jesus has come to be king of your life. Okay? And that you can have the kingdom of God both now and you can escape judgment on that final day as well. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And as our team comes, okay, Gary's going to read us a scripture here in a minute. Let me just pray. And then our team can begin to serve, okay? So Father in heaven, we want to thank you this morning for your spirit here. We thank you again for your son, Jesus. And as we remember him now, we pray, God, would you search our hearts? Would you know us? Would you lead us again, Holy Spirit, to Jesus, to be Savior and Lord of our lives? We pray in his mighty name. Amen.